Counsel Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversations along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. What? We didn't clap in either, Seth. Don't give we me shit. We didn't clap. <laughs> we didn't clap in, we did didn't. we? didn't. <laughs> and so because of that, you are going to have issues with editing. <laughs> eh, well, it all has... It all started pretty all, quickly, so... It did. And it all has to be done tonight. So right, I'm not... So it's going to be fine. It should be fresh. You shouldn't have too much to worry about. But anyway, I just realized I didn't have that going, so I was getting that set up so that I will have a file to send to you. <laughs> Uh, well, no worries. The first little bit you'll have to take from no this whole, you know, well, recording. <laughs> yeah, no this this will be uh, heavily redacted. There we go. Uh, but let's let's uh, <laughs> at least the first few minutes okay. will be heavily redacted. Okay. But let's talk a little bit about mental minutes. How is Michelle oh, Collins God. doing? Well, you know, I had a shitty day yesterday. I I literally yes. had a shitty shitty day yesterday. What happened? I mean, I I, and I know. I got but overwhelmed. Share for our listeners. Yeah, I just got overwhelmed. Uh-huh. I I have so much going on at the t- at the moment right now. I have, of course, it's tax season, and so you know my clients are you know all understandably very demanding. They they want to get their taxes done. I have CPAs emailing, needing more information. I have clients emailing. Plus, once I have finished, you know, getting their stuff ready for the CPA, a lot of times those clients have other big demands that are still on the boards. And so those then kick into gear. They don't realize I'm trying to settle tax stuff for everybody else as well. So that gets a little overwhelming. School is overwhelming. And just dealing, I had had a therapy appointment just the day before. So I was just kind of... I don't know, at raw ends, I guess. And so I literally, I know when I texted you or sent you a Marco Polo, I was like near a nervous breakdown. I was like, I can't get all this done. And school, this class has been very daunting to me, which is unusual in all honesty. Yeah, you, you tend to not, you, you tend to not, you don't go with the waves. You typically stand against the storm. Pretty so yeah. I feel like that is not really your MO. Like that's not normal. It's for not. You. And and this class has just been a nightmare that will not end. I told you I started it last year in, in April. And of course, then we decided to put our house up for sale and move. And so each class is two months long. So I extended it a month and then I extended it another month and still wasn't done with it. So I ended up having to take it again, and I did the same thing again. I the two months, and then I extended it twice. Still wasn't done, and I had no no option then except to take a failing grade, which has never ever happened in the history of my educational pursuits. Well, you know, I wouldn't have been able yeah, to do I, that. I considered it great bounds for me to have been able to do that because, of course, it severely adversely affects your GPA. But yeah. I also, and I think I've said this to you previously. I'm in a doctoral program. Your GPA doesn't mean shit, except it doesn't. Except that you have to maintain a certain level to stay within the program. But it's not like you're using right. that for some jumping off point later on. You're at the pinnacle Correct. now. So it, it, it's, it's just a matter of pride more than anything. But my academic advisor had, had said to me, let it, let it go. Retake it. It's all going to be fine. When you pass it, whatever grade you pass it with will replace that. It'll be fine. I said, okay. 
Well, now I'm down to the wire. Today is the deadline for this class to be done unless I want to extend again. And I just absolutely do not want to extend. How long do you have? Is there a timeline on it? Till midnight. I have till midnight. You got time. So uh, everything is done with the exception of my research paper. And it's about 60% done. I have everything. It's just putting it all in. And in all honesty, as I said, this class has been very daunting because I just don't understand it. I, it's so what class is it's it? statistics for behavioral sciences oh, well. and yeah. no that then yeah no yeah you are 100 percent within reason to lose your mind and not want to do it and extend it and just, bypass it 100 i just don't know Absolutely. i don't understand people that like have degrees in statistics i'm like what are you thinking <laughs> like i can do the math the math part's not the problem the part is the problem part is the interpretation right because it doesn't make sense in what? my head what system are they having you use? Uh, SPSS, which is fine. I know how to use that. And I can Google yeah. if I need to figure out how to f- calculate something. I can Google all that. I can figure all that out. But as I said, when I get the results, I look at it and I go, I have no idea what that means. Like mm-hmm. the math is done, but I just don't know what that means. So it, it's it's very upsetting. And because I don't like to feel ignorant on something. And of course, this is going to, the, the whole reason you take this course is when you start your, your thesis, your doctoral thesis, of course, you're going to do research and you have to be, you know, able to look at the results of your research and make some sense of it. Right. And so now, so as I told you yesterday, I just was like, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I shouldn't be in a doctoral program. I'm just not up to this. I just feel like a failure. I mean, it was just a full on pity party going on yesterday. And then I was struggling through some decisions that I had made, you know, in the short term here that I really felt like came from a place of a trauma perspective. Like I made choices through a trauma lens without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I was overwhelmed by that thinking, what if I, what if I had made, what if I would have made different choices if that were not the case? So I just got completely overwhelmed. And I know when I, I was pretty frazzled when I sent you the message. <laughs> no, I, and I knew you were, I could, I could very well yeah. see it on your face. It almost sounds like it, it snowballed. It did. It just, everything steamrolled me yesterday. And I literally, when I got done talking to you at one point, I just, I, I literally, I felt the tears in my eyes and I don't like to cry because I just feel bad physically when I cry. Like my nose hurts, my eyes hurt, I'm exhausted. And so I just hate it. But I know that it's also cathartic. It also kind of clears the board, so to speak. And so I literally just put my face in my hands and I just, I mean, sobbed for like 10 minutes. And then I grabbed some tissue, I wiped my eyes, I blew my nose, and I went, okay, let's get back to this shitty mess. <laughs> and, and and it did help, but I mean, the, the problems are all still there. They haven't gone away. You know, it just it's kind of a release of pressure for a minute so you can look at it right. again. So... Yeah. Well, the the main thing is pace yourself yeah. and the problems are still going to be there. Okay. Yeah. Like they're, they're not just going to go away, but we have the choice whether we feed in and al- allow those problems to crumble us and overwhelm us, right. or we have the ability to say, you know what, that's a problem. And I'm not going to worry about that right now. I can come back to that at a different yeah. time. And I think that's what you kind of have well, to do. Yeah. I, I do find that my response tends to be pretty much the same when I get to that point. And again, this is a very big subject for me in therapy is the issue of control is my entire life is controlling situations so that I feel safe. And so immediately my mind goes into how do I control the situation? 
And one of the ways I do that when I get overwhelmed is I start, I make task lists or to-do lists or I reorganize my schedule or something so that I feel like I'm controlling something to help relieve Mm -hmm. some of that pressure. So between crying and doing that, it kind of took enough of the pressure off that I was able to go, okay, let me regroup here. But yeah, wasn't a nice feeling at all. So. Is there now? I know you said you kind of wiped your tears and and just moved mm-hmm. on. But like, was there anything that you did in the midst of that snowballing event? That was funny, snowballing event. <laughs> in the midst of that emotional, what do we want to call? I don't want to say breakdown, well, but like emotional, <laughs> emotional upheaval. Was there anything that you did that helped, other than just like putting it to the side and like, hey, I'm I just literally, whatever. I literally just I cried. And then I looked at my schedule and said, how do I, how do I, I mean, what has to come first? Well, this class has to come first because the, the deadline is imminent. Then I can reschedule my clients to something that makes a little more sense. As far as dealing with the trauma stuff, there's nothing I can do about that. I have to just recognize that right now that's kind of a raw area of my life. And Mm -hmm. that if I allow myself to stay in that mindset, it will be overwhelming. So, okay. Maybe we don't think about that while we're concentrating on this. We'll give it time, but just not right in this moment. Right. So kind of kind of distracting myself a little bit or prioritizing, I guess, which again, mm-hmm. for me works because it, it gives me back that sense of control that I'm looking for. So I didn't realize control was such a huge issue for me. I mean, I've always made jokes about being a control freak, but honestly, every time I see my therapist and we start talking, it comes back to that issue. Every single thing. So it's it's a pretty big area for me. What well, sounds like what you ended up doing was reprioritizing. Right. And you, mm-hmm. so like you looked at the things that were on the calendar, then you prioritize them based upon what needs to be done next. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of didn't focus on the things that were not at the highest priority. Right. Is that- yeah, it's the only way I could do it because there's no way you can continue to think of everything at once. It is daunting. It is too overwhelming. And we're not, we're not built that way. You know, I mean, I was listening to something yesterday and they were talking about multitasking and, you know, women are traditionally very good at multitasking. The problem with that is, is it really affects your, your ability to concentrate, you know, cause you're so busy mm-hmm. doing five different things that they're all suffering because you're not concentrating on one. Right. And so that kind of is what it came down to. All of a sudden, all of this multitasking came to a head and I went, fuck, I'm not getting anything done, mm-hmm. and, you know, to the level that I would that I like to have it done at. So it just became detrimental to me. So, yeah. So in that moment, had a little breakdown. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing. I was proud of myself for even reaching out to you because I don't normally do that. I literally will usually you break don't. down on my own and struggle through that through all the emotion and then try and regroup on my own. So that's, that's well, new was for me. Proud of, I was very proud of you to do that. In fact, there was a part of me that was just truly honored. Like I was like, <laughs> I know, like I know Michelle's losing it right now, but I'm like, but she's, I'm she's feeling losing it with real me. special. <laughs> I'm feeling real special in the midst of her worst moment. She reached out to me and that, that's an honor. Well, it is. You're I, you my mean, friend, you know. and I know you understand from a mental health perspective as well. So that's helpful to me, you know. And in all honesty, there's not many people I whine to in life because I don't like to feel like I'm um, a burden to anybody. And it even bothers me to feel like I may be a burden to you. You're never a burden to me. And I know everybody me, says that, but that's that. still what goes, that's the script that's in my mind. So that's, you know, another thing that I'm having to work through. Right. So, yeah. 
So now how was your how was your week now that I've had a a public <laughs> breakdown? <laughs> I can can we just um I suppose I need to share. I mean, if you're going to talk about your stuff, <laughs> I'm going to. Damn right. <laughs> you know, I've already mentioned this in the last show, so I don't want to like re-harp on talking about leaving the podcast that I was a right. part of for three years. I, I don't. I don't think that that's beneficial or helpful, and I also don't want people to take sides in right. this situation right. either. Uh, I, I just, it's been hard. And now, Michelle, I'm going to say some things, and I do not want you to yell at me. <laughs> and for those of you listening, that's because Michelle does yell at Seth when he says things that yes, she finds I distasteful have, or wrong for him. <laughs> I have been screamed at, actually. You've been what? To the point I thought screamed at. I thought you oh. were going to have like a stroke. You were so. Oh my mad god, you made me so mad that one night. I just if you'd have been well, in front I, of me, I'd have grabbed you. <laughs> well, can we go? Look, can we talk about it? <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, here we are. We're mental health professionals. We're running a podcast. We almost killed each other this last week. Why did you almost kill me, Michelle? Because Why were you it so mad? pisses me off to no end when I hear you being rude or wrong about yourself. It drives me crazy when I feel like you're taking responsibility for everybody else's shit and deciding that it's all yours somehow. That drives me up the wall. And well, I, I am a mother and... Honestly, I, I mother people because of that. And uh, if one of my kids said something to me like that, that would have been my same reaction. It just would have. Well, the thing for me is I, I'm not disagreeing and I'm, I'm not taking the responsibility of other people. Okay. Mm. I'm just wishing that I would have acted a little bit differently. But, but again, that's where we disagree because I don't think that you acted inappropriately. So... Well, I do. <laughs> I I did something that I don't necessarily fully believe in. I was hurt. I was reactionary uh, due to some things that happened. It actually happened on a mental episode. This whole thing started on a mental <laughs> on a episode live. On, a <laughs> on a Facebook Live, public to the entire That's world. Okay. If you're really interested, go back and listen to our first episode of the drama series. Yes. Uh, on Facebook Live, not the podcast, because the podcast has been edited. I was going to say, you edited the hell out of that. So. Oh, yes, I did. And the uh, the Facebook Live is all in there, but the comments are gone because I we deleted those because trying to was, respect yes. people who are listening to our show for support and right. help don't need to read about... Other stuff. You know, right. Okay. Dick pics and nudes. <laughs> like, that's not necessary. <laughs> Which is what happened. We literally did a Facebook Live episode and, and yes. individuals from my old podcast got on live and jumped on our call and we were talking about trauma and people were engaged and they were really benefiting from that and they made dick pic jokes. I know. It wasn't it wasn't a comfortable thing. No. And and I get no, that. And and I even I even understood you reacting. And again, you think that the fallout of that was somehow wrong in how you handled it. And I thought that you handled it in a, in a very calm and controlled manner. Yes, I did. But I never, they, the individuals that I've run the show with after that happened, I have not spoken to them since. And I felt like I could have done that differently. How has that worked out for you in the past, Seth? It hasn't. Exactly. 
and hence why I got so angry at you. I get it. Because you continue to make the same overtures, the same mistakes, the same, you say the same things, you do the same things, and you know every single time it doesn't work for you. No, it doesn't. And you continue to do it because you have this almost pathological need to be responsible for everything that goes on that involves you. And that's just simply not reality. Because we don't get to choose how somebody else acts or what they say or how they feel. And you comported yourself in a fashion that was calm and controlled, as I said. It was. But You're not I, responsible for how it was received. Yeah, but I just, I don't know how much I, I really believe, you know, throwing three years of friendship down the line without real, really having a conversation. But I did, I sent a letter, I mean, not a letter, a, a message kind of explaining my position and I'm done. Just FYI, part of the reason I could have handled dick pics, I could have handled new, I could have handled those comments. It was it in poor taste. Yes. Was it uh, upsetting to some of our listeners who listen to our show for support? Yes. yes. Did it in interrupt what we were trying to do as a team? Yes. Yes. I could handle that. It's when they went live in the middle of our yeah, life. Yeah, I know that, that felt like that, a personal that, smack to you. That I was get that. that was uh that wasn't a smack, that was a stab in the heart. That I was that. a few. I get and that. I can't do that. And so this week has been hard. Um in fact, ever since the, this event went down, it's been very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Partially because the primary support system and I'm not Michelle, you are a huge part of my support system, so You're not don't hear me. me. I, go don't ahead. hear me minimize you at all. I know. Um, but I was in a Marco Polo group every single day for the last three years, mm -hmm. and that is gone. Right. But I chose that, right. so I can't blame anyone but myself. Now, hear me. Hold up because of the decisions I made. Now, I could have continued, and I'm not suggesting it was healthy, right? I could have continued and not taken the stand and let things continue, but there came a point I had to take the stand up for myself. And yes. the consequences of standing up for yourself hurt. Well, absolutely. And the reality is, as soon as you begin to put boundaries in your life, and you know this, you would tell somebody else this, as soon as you begin to put boundaries in your life, immediately those that violate those boundaries often are going to push back. Right. It's human nature because nobody likes to be told they're acting inappropriately. You get to decide what's appropriate for you, though. Whether they find it inappropriate or not is, is inconsequential. It's what you define it as. And you took a stand and you set a boundary in place. And I was proud of you for that. I understand that there's still going to be residual emotion that comes out of that. And there's going to be a desire to return to behavior that feels familiar and comfortable, even though it can be hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. And let's just be honest, it was hurtful to you. Oh, it was deeply hurtful. Yes. And so because of that, there is this feeling of displacement, frustration, anger, hurt, all of these things. But I will say that I think, and I've not been privy to your thoughts all the way through the week, but along the way, anytime the subject has come up, I have been very, very impressed with how calm you have been. Well, thank you. Because that, that is a big, that's a big shift for you, in all honesty. Yeah. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And there's almost like in making this decision, there's peace. Like there's right. there's a part of me that really wishes that I would have tried to work things out or at least left in good terms. But there wasn't that wasn't going to happen because had I tried to do that, I would have been plugged right back in and all of the blame would have been put on me and I would have taken responsibility well, right. and I you would have apologized. You would have, fallen, I would have done, you would have fallen back into your familiar pattern. Yeah. I would have because done all that stuff. That's what you again. know. Yeah. 
the the thing that I I think has been helping is I have first of all I mean I've talked to you almost every day mm-hmm. if not every every day every other day mm-hmm. and I have been I've had friends over almost every single night the last week and a half and I think that's really healthy for you because that yeah. that is a, a support system that is healthy. Those friends yes. that are willing to, to show up at your door, sit with you, let you talk about it, offer their advice, be available to you, and allow you to work through what you're dealing with, that is that is a good support system. And I think that's healthy. And I also think that's probably why you've been a little more calm in the process. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to big emotional swings, you have stayed pretty solid and said, no, while I'm playing this over and over in my mind and analyzing, I'm also recognizing You've also taken the time, and you did it just a few minutes ago when I asked how that had worked out for you before. You said, you're right. It hasn't. It so, hasn't. So you've taken the time to recognize, even in your pondering, where your thought process has been erroneous. Right. And and I think that's a, a very big growth thing. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm very proud of you for that. Well, thank you. And I think it. I, I think that there's a lot of growth. I just feel a little immature. That's all. I, there's, there's just a part of me that feels like I should have not done that. But it is what you know, it is. We and do I've had that to, take to ourselves. A stand. We do that to you ourselves. Know? When when I got kicked out of church, I can't even tell you how long I played that over and over and over and over and over in my mind and felt like I had acted inappropriately. Or I had. There must be something I've done that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and the simple fact of the matter is sometimes that's just not true. Sometimes circumstances happen. They are what they are. And on any given day, we all feel immature. Do you think I sat here yesterday with my face in my hands crying and felt mature? I did not. I felt like, for God's no, sake, you're a grown a woman. That was a, you know, that was get a, a momentary breakdown. This is something I'm walking out every day. Yeah, and, but, you know, I mean, you know this about me as well. I'm walking out some shit every day, too, and it's not comfortable. Yeah. And I don't always respond correctly. So, I mean, I think we have to give ourselves a lot more grace in the process than we do. We have a tendency to be very graceful to other, gracious to other people. But we we tend to hold ourselves to a much higher standard, which is really unfair. Because we're just human too. We're going to screw it up. Without fail, we're going to screw it up. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's no question. (laughs) It's not if, it's when. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah. And again, bringing this back to our subject matter, I want to point out that uh, first of all, and and I know I'm not saying anything out of turn because you've you've referenced this many times. You have a traumatic brain injury. Yes, I do. So your responses are going to be different than somebody that does not have that in their in their physical makeup. Yes, hands down, just going to be different. No way around it. It's not something you control. It just happens. Um, Second of all, we are talking about even if you did not have that coming from a position of feeling kind of traumatized by something is going to cause you to react rather Mm -hmm. than to process and contextually think about something and put words into, you know, into commission on that. So again, you're talking about trauma responses. But that's what I felt like I did. I felt as if my response, the way in which I responded to the situation was very reactionary and I think it was a trauma response in a way. Okay, I will give you that on the Facebook Live. I will give you that because it was a very quick response. It was it, and when I use the word dramatic here, I don't mean like you were throwing your hands around. It was it was visible, dr- a visibly dramatic reaction that even I kind of right. went whoa okay, and but everything after that I felt felt like was very precise and controlled. 
I didn't see that as a reaction. I saw that as you placing things into place that things that were going to help you. Yeah. Not necessarily a reaction. So I think it was kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the times in situations like this in life, it often is a part of the two. Sure. I think it's, it's oftentimes mixed and there isn't a direct, this is what it is. Right. Uh, and I think that's just part of human life. It it's is. part of the human brain. Well, and that's what I'm saying. That's why we have to give ourselves some grace because yeah. we're no better than anybody else. Just because we have a little mental health training doesn't mean that we're perfect and all this stuff or, you know. What? Right. Really? Right. I thought, I thought. <laughs> Damn I thought it. That. That's why I became a therapist. Oh, that was, come on now. That's you why know, I you a know the worker. stereotype, right? About people with degrees in psychology. You know the stereotype. They, uh, they, they have the worst problems. They are uh, the actually people, the most batshit crazy people. <laughs> the, the mental health professionals of the world are some of the most yes. jacked up people yes. you'll ever meet. Yep. They're just because, also the people that are willing to explore why they're that way, though. Yeah. Well, that's why they got a degree. Right. They got a degree not to help other people. Well, I mean, inevitably, it, they're yes. going to help other people. But they got into it to try to fix themselves. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I'm guilty of that. I mean... <laughs> Every single person I, that's in this field is guilty uh, of that. <laughs> that's... You should read most of my research papers from undergrad, including... <laughs> and grad school. They were all on homosexuality because I was trying to figure everything out. Well, because so, we, we know our own stuff the yeah. best. So why wouldn't we use that as as our foundation for any kind of educational pursuit in this field? It makes I sense. Mean, I suppose so. I literally wrote a, a paper on Bowen's family systems theory, and I, I which I, I'm obsessed with that okay. theory. Uh, he's all about self differentiation and enmeshment. Okay. And I created a case scenario, which was my family. They just had different <laughs> names. Well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little clue. Uh, much of my business degrees, all of my papers were written yeah. about clients. So. Yeah. <laughs> or my work experience with employers, one or the other. So it's the same thing. We write from what we know. Mm -hmm. So it's true. Well, I think I've probably overshared enough. Yeah, it's Let's, okay. But I, at this point, like I'm not. I think it feeds into the topic, though. So I think it's it fine. Does. But can I, I want to say one thing hmm. before, before we move on to subject matter. Mm -hmm. I am not talking bad about them. I know that. I'm not talking down to them. I know you know that, but I, I need this set on the okay. podcast. Okay. Because I guarantee you people are, that know this group are going to listen to this show. And I don't want anyone to feel as if I am asking people to take sides, that I am talking bad about them. I love I know that you. team. I know you do. Deeply. And I care about them deeply, but I have to also learn to care for myself. Exactly. That's what this is about. Absolutely. And that's in point. And, and I will go on. I will go so far as to say that I hope that at some point it's recognized and applauded that you are finally taking care of yourself because I yeah. think that's a very healthy thing to do. It's been a very hard thing to of do. Of course and, it is. And, and part of the reason is, is I have always feared what I did. Well, uh, but it happened it and did. I have to move forward and I'm not going back, mm -hmm. but I just want to be very forthcoming mm -hmm. and say this. I'm not right. throwing shade. I'm just talking about how what happened, how it impacted me absolutely, and the decisions that I had to make as a result of that. Right. What they do and what they say is what they do and what they say. Well, and I, I can't control yeah, that. And I, and I think I said this to you. Anybody else's opinion of you is none of your business. 
Right. It just isn't. It's true. Because as soon as we concern ourselves with that, then we begin to live our lives trying to please those people or that other person at the expense of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really none of our business and we should leave it that way. Yeah. So. And I really didn't have any plan to talk about this today. But when you ask me about my week, it's really hard to be able to talk about how I'm feeling without telling you what's going on. Yeah, I know. You know, I... So the the thing about it is if anyone is listening to this and gets upset, please understand I'm learning how to care for myself. So in talking about caring for ourselves, mm-hmm. I think that I think it's important that we not only talk about the impact of trauma and how that trauma, you know, it gets started and everything like that's what we spent the last three episodes discussing. Right. Today, we really want to look at treatment modalities, um, different types of treatment that you can receive that may help you through trauma. Right. Now, I have a whole list of different theories, and I can go a little bit into that. But I want to first kick this to you, Michelle, because you have a few like techniques and things that you found helpful, right? I don't know. What are you referencing? Brain spotting. Oh, okay. My therapist uses a... I don't know what we call it, a treatment option, I guess, called brain spotting. It actually goes along with EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I honestly am still learning about it. The eye movement, the EMDR is about how your eyes move in the in the midst of thinking about trauma. Brain spotting is more of a fixed eye process. And so I'm still trying to understand the differentiation. I have not gotten there with my therapist yet. We are still identifying issues. Mm-hmm. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how this goes when we get there. Because again, I learn by doing. I'm a very hands-on person. So I can read about something, but a lot of times that won't make sense until I actually put it into practice. Um, so I'm hoping to understand that a little bit more. But we can talk a little bit about how it functions, you know, theoretically, I guess. EMDR or brain spotting? I, I think they're going to be pretty close. I mean, the yeah. technique of them might be slightly different, but I think, of course, the the reasoning behind it or the the trauma treatment behind it is probably close to the same thing. I'm going to pull it up here so I can look at it a little well, bit more. I'll, just, I'll, I'll touch in on EMDR. Mm-hmm. So as Michelle mentioned, EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, mm-hmm. and this therapeutic modality essentially takes your traumatic memories that are stored in your amygdala and helps us reprocess them so they no longer trigger an intense fear response or PTSD symptoms. Mm-hmm. There, You can do EMDR in multiple ways. A lot of times it has to do with the eyes where you're watching a light move from right to left and left to right and back and forth. And then you watch that light and they ask you specific questions. Mm-hmm. And the apparently now again I, the research is not really there, Michelle. I know <laughs> that's where this that's where EMDR gets really interesting because most therapeutic techniques, you know, it's all backed by data, it's right. all backed by research, and there is not too much uh, in regard to the research realm uh, that shows why and how this works. They pretty much just know it works, right? I mean, that's always kind of been my take on it. They, well, they just, it's something they know works, but the research isn't there. I think, again, that'll come with time, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, too. research is, is hard to do when you don't have the data to actually research. So you have to have a period of time in which you're gathering data. 
So, you know, I think that this may be the case with EMDR or even brain spotting is that it's so relatively new that they don't have enough data yet to make any kind of data-backed or science-backed conclusion. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's not effectively helping people, mm-hmm. you know, because, of course, within that data collection, you're going to have people that it doesn't do anything for. But the hypothesis is that you're going to have a lot of people that it actually does something very beneficial for. Right. So. And I mentioned that you're kind of following it like a light mm-hmm. that goes back and forth. Some therapists don't even use the light. Uh, they have things you hold in your hand mm-hmm. and it goes back and forth from hand to mm-hmm. hand. But again, whether it's a light or something you're holding in your hand, which is buzzing, they're essentially buzzing in your right, right hand then buzzing in your left and buzzing in your right and buzzing in your left. The whole idea here is that it's, it's trick. Well, I don't want to say trigger. It's activating both sides of your brain hmm, exactly yeah. because oftentimes and again i'm i'm not speaking as a researcher here i'm just speaking layman terms what i understand this to do but oftentimes when we're in a conversation we tend to stick in one side of our brain we're not in both right and so this emdr allows you to access both parts of your brain during a conversation, which often will bring up stuff that you may have never even shared before. Right. Because it's stored, it, it it's stored as a memory in a different part of your brain that you can't access. Right. And EMDR opens that door so that you can. Well, and, and that goes into the veracity of pulling stuff out of your amygdala because, again, the midbrain there is you're reacting from, but you don't have necessarily conscious thought as to why you're reacting. So you're Mm -hmm. right, there's these these portions of your brain in which these memories are stored, this trauma is stored, and something triggers that and you react, but you don't know why. So again, like you said, this is bringing that into the prefrontal cortex where you're able to actually contextually make an, an, you know, some verifiable thought about it or a conscious decision about it. And though, as we said, you know, I, I think it's interesting, there's not much study on it, although there is some. And yeah. there's actually a, a I, I'm, I just pulled this up and looked at it. There was a study that was funded by Kaiser Permanente and they found, I, I'm going to have to look this up even further, found that 100% of the single trauma victims and 77% of multiple trauma victims no longer were diagnosed with PTSD after only six 50 minute sessions. Wow. So I don't know why you wouldn't wow. try it if they're going to have that kind of success rate. Now, again, can that be backed up over time? I'm assuming that those numbers will come down over time with more data input, but still, if if you could, if you could, a high percentage. Yeah, that's a high percentage. So to me, it seems like it would be beneficial to even give it a shot, even though it's relatively new. Mm -hmm. So, well, here's the actual process. I mean, we talked about the light, Mm -hmm. but typically, what'll happen? So you're watching the light, or you're holding the buzzers, and the therapist will essentially ask you specifically to recall a traumatic memory and to go to the worst part of that memory. Mm -hmm. And as you are processing this, you share what you remember. And as you do this, the therapist will move their, you'll have the light or you'll have the buzzers or sometimes therapists even use their finger back and forth in front of your eyes either way. But they'll pause, they, they often will have you pause so you can take a deep breath and then slowly exhale um, and you just start doing this more and more and it, you dig deeper and deeper into these memories, which oftentimes have been have been repressed. Right. I can tell you that even sitting there listening to you describe that, I, I had a 
huge wave of anxiety. <laughs> really? Yeah, huge wave of anxiety. So um, I had to take I, a big deep breath myself for a second. <laughs> uh, and it's still sitting right in my chest. So it's... It, it, well, I've got a little bit more. So hold okay, on. Okay. All right. All right. I'll just keep deep breathing. So <laughs> <laughs> as the memories begin to dislodge, um, the therapist is going to be very specific to remind you that no matter what you're remembering, that you are okay and that you are currently safe. Um, I think that's so incredibly important as we start to unpack this trauma is that you are safe and it's okay and you're in the room and you're not alone. And I think that's really critical. I would not want to do EMDR telehealth. No. EMDR is something that I want. If I'm going to do that, I want that in person. Absolutely. Face to face. Yes. That is not something I would want to do via Zoom. Uh, no. 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 And I'll tell you, I, you. I don't want to do any of this via Zoom. I mean, of course, I had to, um, not this last appointment, but the previous one because we had so much snow. Right. I had to, and I found that I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. I felt like I was kind of dialing it in. And I mean, I was literally, but, <laughs> but I felt kind of like I wasn't even participating. I honestly don't have any memory of what we even talked about in that session because it was just, it was too easy to remove myself. So, yeah. So, certainly for this, no. No way would I want to be in a room by myself. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole part of them telling you that you're safe and that you're going to be okay, what it's really doing is it's allowing you to be back in that in that trauma. It's allowing you to be back in that that difficult situation and be okay at the same time. Right. So, it's retraining your body to handle that situation differently mm-hmm. and that it's okay and that you're safe. I think it's also, as you said, it's, it may be even bringing up memory that you don't have mm-hmm. so that you have a more complete picture of the trauma itself so that you can evaluate it. You can, again, pull it into that prefrontal cortex where you have logical thought while the therapist is reminding you that you're safe, you have time to evaluate and analyze yes. what, what actually happened. Instead of just from these fearful memories that you have that may be incomplete. Right. And it really moves you from oftentimes these types of memories, you know, we're reactionary to them. Mm -hmm. Talking about trauma response. Mm -hmm. You know, we have an intense fear. We have fright. Our our fight, flight, and freeze comes up. What EMDR allows you to do, if done appropriately and correctly, it allows you to be able to look at the situation from a distance. Right. Right. It, so I mean, I'm just I'm essentially rephrasing what you said, mm-hmm. but I really like it at a distance. <laughs> uh, so I'm throwing it in there. But it allows you to step back and be able to look at it differently. And like it's not right here. Right. Which will help you process. Well, yeah, because it's, it's very difficult to get out of the emotion of something. Yes. Because that is such yes, a primary driver, you know, in our thought process and in, in our reaction is that emotional component. So taking the emotion out of it and being able to analyze and observe allows us to have a clearer picture, but it's so very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I think it has a lot of promise. I do too. I do too. And I'm not going to lie. I saw an EMDR therapist uh, last year and I yeah? went to three sessions and stopped. Why? Why did you stop? Was it, was it emotionally difficult? We didn't even get into it. I just on first of all, it was 
January of last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And my insurance had just changed over and my new deductible was in play and oh, it was going to okay. cost me a fortune. Yeah. It was going to cost That's me a fortune. That's a big fortune. consideration. And she was specialized, so I couldn't use her through the EAP. It's mm-hmm. hard to get like an EMDR therapist or an EAP. So anyhow, I, I only went to two or three sessions, but I do want to go back. I don't know if I want to go back to her, mm-hmm. but I definitely want to try it at some point. Yeah. Well, I, I think, well, and part of this, of course, for anybody going to counseling, you have to be comfortable with the person you're working with. And yes. that takes some it's, time to evaluate and institute that relationship. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's not like you just go in, you say, hey, here's my memories. Let's jump into this and get, it doesn't work that way. You know, and of course we would like it to. <laughs> You have to build the relationship. Right. Have you, um, I know, I know you've listened to some of Brene Brown stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if you recall, I, I've listened to this one teaching of hers so many times. I practically know it by heart. But I remember in that she talked about when she realized that she needed some, some work herself in the area of vulnerability. And she, she, and of course, you know, she's from Texas. She's German. She has all these, you know, qualifiers on who she is as to why that doesn't work for her. Cause she's a very, matter of fact, you know, bottom line, blunt kind of person. And so she said when she went to her therapist, who actually was a friend, she actually told her, this is what I need to work on. This is the amount of time that I have to work on it. And I don't want to deal with any childhood bullshit. Those were her code. That was her conditions, you know, and she said her therapist just laughed at her. (laughs) Because you don't just walk in and say, I have six weeks to work on this. Let's fix it. It doesn't work that way. And you are the sum no. total of all of your experiences, Not trauma. right? So you can't you can't negate a whole portion of your of your life and say none of this is important in this conversation because it is. It's part of foundational you. So right, this is not a quick easy fix. This is this is time intensive work. It's yeah, it's personal work is what it is. Very much so, and it's deeply emotional and deeply upsetting, and very anxiety producing. At least for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another uh, treatment modality I want to mention. Now, I hate this treatment. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Brene Brown. uh, (laughs) Cognitive behavioral therapy. I knew that's where you were going. (laughs) I dislike it. So, uh, CBT is talk therapy. Right. That gets at the negative thoughts that you have around the trauma the stories and the beliefs that we create from the trauma. It, it allows you to actually unpack, analyze and unpack your thought life. Really looking at a lot of the negative messaging that you may have about yourself and the world and everything like that. Right. Well, I, I think that it's somewhat inherent in all therapy, to be honest. It is. Because of course you're talking. I would like to find a therapist that says that they don't do CBT. Yeah, and because like I said, it, it it's foundational almost. It's Right. You know everyone said everyone Well, said and it. here's the deal. I'm gonna be honest with you. I have talked with a therapist before who their their whole approach to therapy was not about getting to the root of the issues. It was about coming up with almost band-aid fixes for your reactions. It's almost like, oh, so you don't want to smoke anymore? Well, what if I snap you with a rubber band every time you decide you're going to smoke? That's just gestalt therapy. Yes, I know that. And and so that to me is somewhat disappointing because I feel like because there is an emotional component for deciding to visit a therapist almost without fail, mm-hmm. that you kind of have to go into those things. You kind of have to use some form of talk therapy 
in the in the commission of helping somebody or it really is just voodoo crap to me I, to me it's that's what it comes down to that's just me but i i was not impressed with that at all i'm like no i'd actually like to find out why i think that not just how to change what i think mm-hmm. that that's motivational s- bullshit to me <laughs> It's mani- it what it is is it's manipulation it is. put in a therapeutic method <laughs> yes, is what, it is. Is, and it's gestalt therapy and I actually went through a program that spe- like pretty much was gestalt mm. without saying it was gestalt and it was very traumatic for right. me and I don't know if it's gestalt or gestalt what something G E S however you want to say it we all know what we're talking something about. like something I bet but uh, really focusing on CBT it shows you how to notice your negative script right? and really what your negative talk is that's constantly playing in the background of your life and then flip it to something positive. Right. Well, now I said, now again, a lot of this you will find in, I don't know how to say this without sounding disdainful, (laughs) but a lot of this you will find in your self-help gurus. Yes. Absolutely, without a fail, this is what you will find. I've I followed a gentleman for years and years and years ago. Followed uh, him and was introduced to him by a chiropractor at the time. And the whole premise of what he did was that you should take every negative event that was traumatic, you should evaluate that negative event and find something that was positive about it, and then you removed the negative charge from it when you did that. And I'm like, at first I said, oh, okay, sure, and then you realize that does not work. Because mm-hmm. I can find something positive in everything. It doesn't mean I'm not traumatized and that I'm not responding from trauma. I, that that makes no sense. But he made a lot of money telling people that stuff. He wrote books. Of he had seminars. And so this is what you'll find when you walk into the self-help section of a bookstore. You're going to find a lot of this mm-hmm. from that it's, perspective. You're not wrong. You're not like that's most of all self-help material. Yep. It's about your thought life. <laughs> yep. And how you change that. Take now, control. Now, that's not to say that I don't key in on stuff like that. I actually got a book today, and I've been listening to this book on Audible, and it was it's so good that I, I went and got the book. It's called You Can't Hurt Me. Oh, I saw David you. David Goggins. I saw you sh- yeah, I saw oh you share that on Facebook. Now, okay, let me tell you what works for me about David Goggins, though, because first of all, he's a Navy SEAL, which you would think would be the toughest thing he's done in his life, and it's not. Mm-hmm. But he, he's just somebody that doesn't know how really? to stop. He just doesn't know how to stop. He doesn't know how to, to say enough is enough. And I feel like I resonate with that, <laughs> even though I have a breakdown here and there. I just, but he did too. And I just resonate with that idea of you don't quit. You keep getting better. And I, I think you kind of have to be that way on some level to get better. I just don't think that, you know, it should be in the sand and, drowning into the water <laughs> necessarily mm. but i get that yeah but he i mean that's pretty self-helpy you know so i'm not saying i'm against it in totality i'm just saying that i think that if we if we if we pull that out and say hey here's mental health treatment we might be doing a disservice for people in general so again i think talk therapy is helpful i'm just not sure that it does the job totally but that's just my opinion so well i mean you know how i feel about yeah. it. yeah <laughs> I also want to mention, we're going to throw Freud in here. Oh I also boy. want to mention psychoanalytic theory. Yes. <laughs> uh, psychoanalysis, essentially. Um, and a psychoanalysis tries to address the first five years of life 
of your life, um, not by analyzing with our brains, but by allowing us to have a new experience of those formative years using the therapist as a stand-in for good enough caregivers. Right. So basically your therapist becomes your mommy or your daddy. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And you you work it out with them that way. Yeah. When I think of psychoanalysis, I always envision like a person laying on a couch. Yes. With their, you know, with their their arms behind their head, looking up at the at the uh, ceiling, mm-hmm. envisioning envisioning, you know, yeah. their their childhood. Yeah, or their dreams, or you know, something. Yeah, something. And I, I think know, that's I everybody's know, stereotypical idea of going to therapy. I can I can honestly say my therapist does not have a couch in her office. It's just two chairs. We sit there and just chat. That's good. So now maybe some of them do have couches, but. <laughs> it's just so stereotypical. <laughs> right. And really the only like psychoanalysis is like laying on a couch. Like that is the ther- that is the therapeutic that's the theory where you do it. Right. And it was one of the first. So it was foundational to everything that we have now in right. regards to mental health. And so of course that image has carried through so often when we think of therapy. Yeah. It also goes back to the very, I mean, again, these are foundational ideas in, in mental health, the, you know, the id, the ego, the superego, all of the, you know, those components that we've all heard, you know, in, in our most basic psychology classes or whatever. So it kind of goes back to those ideas. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's important to realize that just because something is old doesn't mean there was no value to it in, in, in every field, but certainly within mental health, each of those theories built on the back of the other ones. And so it was an it was an evolving understanding, as it is with any kind of scientific field, an evolving understanding of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And so the treatment modalities that we have now may at some point be improved upon. You know, right. again, like we mentioned, EMDR is relatively new. That's something that is being developed. That's not been around very long. And so again, and different things are going to work for different people because we're all individual. You know, I have a very good friend who we we throw the word subjective back and forth to each other. He'll say, well, what do you think about that? Well, I I think this, but it's subjective. Everybody's going to think different. And he gets so frustrated with me. He's like, oh, subjective again. I'm like, but that's life. Mm -hmm. We all see through a lens. So it's just the way it is. You're not wrong. (laughs) Another one now, again, I I actually have a good friend who does this next theory. Um, It's called the thought field therapy otherwise known as emotional freedom technique hmm. i.e tapping have you ever heard of tapping michelle i don't think i have i'm, I'm gonna look it's, it up while you're telling me about it it's actually fascinating so tapping combines ancient chinese medicine acupuncture points with modern psychology so if you just tap on some of the like some of these specific points oh, on your body, okay, okay. it essentially it it helps your physical um, body calm down. So if you notice yourself being really triggered or you're like experiencing a lot of emotion really quickly, you, tapping. And again, I think it's like you tap your wrist, mm-hmm. you tap your chest. I think you tap your face and then your head and then you like even tap your head you kind of look silly when you do it but it actually if done together 
mm-hmm. one after the other helps you regulate or re I don't know what the word here is. It it calms your nervous system okay. is what it does. Okay. Essentially. I, I'm going to say that on, off the cuff there, I, I can see some value to that. Just knowing, mm-hmm. you know, how the body is interactive with mental health and every, you're all this total person. That makes sense. You're doing something physical to help allay the, the mental stress that you're under. Yes. And that makes yep. sense to me. So yep. I just, I, I pulled it up as you were talking about it. It says that you use your fingertips to tap five to seven times on each of the nine of the body's meridian points. And that while you're concentrating on accepting and resolving the negative emotion. Okay. So it brings your, it brings your, uh, autonomic nervous mm-hmm. system down and, and allows you to I keep wanting to say regulate. It allows you to like regulate your, your body and, and calm your nerves. You know what it brings to mind is um, it, it kind of sounds like grounding then. It is. Okay. It is, it is a grounding exercise. I was going to yes. say, because I've had a panic attack before where a lady uh, thankfully recognized what was happening and she did that with me. She did some grounding work with me. I was in a tree in the middle of Costa Rica trying not to feel like I was going to die from the height. And she actually worked with me, you know, made me touch the tree, made me touch my body. And she kept going back and forth to different things. And so, and I didn't realize at the time, but that was a grounding theory. Uh, it was, it was a grounding work. But what that does, as you said, is it helps bring your thought process back into the, into where we can think about it logically instead of just reacting from that emotional place. So right, it's, it pulls it's you from your thing. amygdala into right. your prefrontal cortex. Right. So this is just a way of doing that. You're you're touching your body in a certain place that your 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 nervous system is going to recognize that it needs to focus differently. So again, mm-hmm. I, like I said, even just hearing about it, it sounds like it makes sense to me. So, but I've not heard of yeah. it before. So, well, do some research on it. It's yeah. actually uh, really really interesting. And I have a good friend who actually does it. He actually hosts classes and teaches it and all of that. Hmm. And a lot of people find it beneficial. And you don't have to, it doesn't cost, I mean, you're just tapping. Right. You're just, you're just, it doesn't cost, cost money. It doesn't, it doesn't cost money. It, you can do it by yourself. Like it, it can be very beneficial. And then I also just want to mention, like, especially when we talk about trauma, expressive arts therapy. Hmm. I think branching out into the arts Mm -hmm. things that that essentially you find find helpful so i'm thinking art therapy music therapy things like that it really allows you to reconceptualize and put it into a different format which i think is very beneficial and even dance therapy so i would say music art and dance i think all of those could be very beneficial do you think do you think like animal therapy works with that as well, I mean... Well, define animal therapy. I'm talking about people that... I, the first thing that comes to mind is emotional support animals, but the other thing that comes to mind is like, uh, I've heard of equine therapy or something like horses. that. Horses. Yeah. Horse. Yeah. Horses. I mean, I I don't think that that would not be beneficial. I think that could it could be very helpful. Well, I, I think that uh, pertaining to what you said, the artistic, more artistic endeavors like that if that makes sense to me because again maybe you're accessing a different portion of your brain than you normally operate yeah. from and because of that you're allowing your your self to refocus that mm-hmm. makes sense i and the animal thing that just occurred to me very momentarily but i think the other that makes sense to me you know i i mean lizzie and i i mean she's practically my therapist yeah. right now so 
Well, I have I have a, an emotional support animal. I mean, he's my dog, one of my dogs. He's just he's very keyed into my emotions. He knows if I'm upset, he's right next to me. You know, and in I find great comfort in that. And yesterday when I was struggling so badly, he came in and he put his head in my lap and I literally I just leaned down and hugged him and just cried and he just kept whining like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" You know, and but it brings me a lot of comfort be able to hold on to him. That's why I mentioned the animal thing, because it, it makes me feel more secure mm-hmm. in the midst of that crisis, that emotional crisis. So, that makes sense. Yeah. And animals are so very, a lot of animals are so very able to, to anticipate your emotion and your mood and to, and to, to maybe feel it before you do, you know, they're mm-hmm. very keyed in. So yeah, they also know when it's going to rain and stuff. And when there's going to be earthquakes. <laughs> They know, they know stuff we don't. They do. I think they're incredibly intelligent beings. I really do. So. I would agree. But. Well, I've just been throwing out theories left and right. Anything you'd add on? Mm, no, I mean, those are all the things I thought. Well, I'm, a few of them I didn't know about. But yeah, the, the main ones were the ones that I had anticipated discussing. So. And again, there's many different modalities. There's many different things you can do. Mm-hmm. This is not. Like I mentioned, this is not comprehensive. Right. This is just an overview to what's so you available. Have an idea yeah, of, of the stuff out there. I mean, I'm also thinking like DBT could even be helpful potentially. I mean, there's a lot. Well, explain of what that is. You, you can't can just do. throw out some some initials there. Dialectical behavioral therapy, okay. and what it really focuses on is cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. And specifically looking at mindfulness. And that's why I would advocate for DBT around trauma is its focus on mindfulness, because I think that's actually a very beneficial practice Mm -hmm. and something I would encourage regardless of whether you see a therapist or not. Mm -hmm. I think that practicing mindful techniques, mindfulness techniques can be extremely beneficial Mm -hmm. at helping you ground yourself, being able to look at things from a distance and maybe even regulating your emotions when you become dysregulated. Mm. I, I would say dialectical behavioral therapy as well. But again, there's so many of these. Mm-hmm. So it's these are we're just handing you a handful of different theories out there so you kind of have an idea right. if you ever want to pursue help. These might be some places to start looking first. Right. And I think it's really important here to, again, reiterate that there's no tried and true method for every single nope. person. You you are very individual. And because of that, what works for somebody else may not work for you. And so you really have to take the time to figure out what works for you, what therapist is right for you, you know, because otherwise it's not going to be successful and you're going to be wasting your time and, and potentially your money. So mm-hmm. make sure that you're comfortable with what you choose or what the therapist suggests. And if if that's not their area or if that's their area and you're not comfortable with it, then that may not be the right therapist for you. And that's okay. This is not a competition. This is not some kind of popularity contest. <laughs> this is about you becoming healthy. So it has to be what works for you. And the therapist's job is to hold the space for you to do the work. That's their job. Mm-hmm. They are not there to fix you. Exactly. They are there to provide you the tools mm-hmm. To be able to make the changes yourself. Right. And, Best and therapy. A- again, they do point out things along the way that they see, which can be helpful, but it's still you that has to do the work. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. I'd like somebody to fix me too and just be better, but it doesn't work that way. So. I mean, I would love that. Exactly. I would pay for that. 
think everybody would, but it's just not reality. Unfortunately, I paid for three degrees and I'm still not fixed. So I don't know. I mean, I just kept trying a different one and it just didn't make a difference. Yes, but look how much experience you have in so many different things now. Oh, which yeah. Which is beneficial. So. so much. Well, I think that this episode has been beneficial. I mean, my hope. I hope I so, too. Say, I yeah, think. I hope my so. My hope is I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that this episode is helpful in, in providing you some different avenues and some different perspectives and things that you can pursue. If you are interested, well, I always say if you're interested in our show, you're listening <laughs> to the show. So I'm assuming that you're interested. Well, one hopes. <laughs> I mean, I would hope so. If you're not currently in our Facebook community, I very much want to encourage you to check that out. You can actually find a link to that on our website, mm -hmm. which is mental-podcast.com. On that website, you can also listen to every single episode that Mental has ever produced, as well as a link to our Patreon if you wanted to support us financially. There's also some bios on there about us. I don't know how good they are. They just kind of talk about who we are. Yeah. And <laughs> we also have a hotline that you can text and call. I'm nervous to even mention that. Uh, but you can text us. You can call us. Uh, that phone number is 314-690-5005. And the person that will answer that is actually me. Um, I don't, Michelle doesn't have access to that. So if you want to talk bad about Michelle, even you can text me, call <laughs> yeah, me, talk whatever, bad whatever about you need me. to do. See if I care. Whatever you, whatever you, yeah, <laughs> Michelle wouldn't care at all. <laughs> because as I said, it would be none of my business. So. <laughs> there it is. But if you end up talking bad about me to Michelle, I want to know. So please you feel have a free. Health, unhealthy fixation. <laughs> just, you know, rather than just messaging Michelle, just CC me just, in the email, in the together. text message, whatever. <laughs> but uh, thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.